0: So for many decades, faithful Richmonders have come into this sanctuary. I doubt they've heard music that great every Sunday. But for almost 175 years, faithful Richmonders have come into this sacred space to open hearts to God, to listen to Scripture, to pray, to sing, to be moved, to be more faithful in serving God. Many people have come into this space, generations before us, and we've come in here joining our lives to this legacy. We come into these pews. Some of us come to the exact same pew every Sunday. We've come into these pews to find comfort for our afflictions because you know what? Afflictions come to all of us as we move through life. We also come into this place to comfort, to afflict the comfortable. Because God's call is for our lives to be engaged with God and loving and serving in the world. And we know we have work to do. So we can't just be comfortable. We have to be moved to faithfulness and purpose. Creating, working for love and peace on these streets and across the world. Whenever we gather here, we link our lives or we want to link our lives to the expansive story about God and what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. And that story is found in this big book that sits in the center of our worship. That story confirms a lot of things. It confirms for us that God speaks and creation comes into being. That story reminds us that God brings order out of chaos, even tremendous storms. This story reminds us that God lays a foundation for lives of faith. And we find the models for that lives of faith in our ancestors, in Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Miriam and many others who are in the Bible. These are our family. They're our heritage. And just as their lives are linked to God in the Scriptures, our lives are meant to be linked to God always. The story shows us how... Relatedness to God changes everything about us and reminds us our lives are to be about loving and serving God in the world. The story reminds us that God is always raising up leaders, and God keeps raising up leaders who guide God's people and God's purposes in the world, even when life gets complicated. And God gives us a Savior. That's the story, who brings light and life, who lives and dies and is raised again that we might have life. And this story is about God calling a church and God uh, setting the church as God's people who live and love and serve in the world. We're part of that. That's our story. All of this is the expansive, impressive work of God and the story of God In the world, it may be so impressive and it may be so expansive that sometimes we're not sure it actually applies to us. You know, we might wonder how in the world does this ancient story relate to me and what I'm dealing with and what our city is dealing with or what our region is dealing with this weekend or whatever? How does it relate to you and me? We live in 2018, we live in crazy times that are far removed from. The pages of this story, it seems, it's hard enough just to keep up with our own lives. It's hard enough just to live by faith. And much of life, we're just trying to do our best. We're trying to raise our kids. We're trying to show up to our appointments, maybe at work or some other place. We're trying to get to the next doctor's appointment because that's been scheduled long ago and it's waiting and waiting and we need it. We're just trying to keep our lives together, get through the most recent loss that's ours or the most recent worry that's waking us up at night. We're just doing our thing, striving to maintain our relationships and deal with our challenges. And we may not even ever actually think about this story, do we? Do we think about this story? We're too busy with our own pursuits. We may even disqualify us from this story because we carry around so much guilt about something that happened to us. It couldn't apply to me, this forgiveness from God or this loving promise we might truly wonder whether we're religious enough to be part of this story. Is that it? So we disqualify ourselves. And then we come to a specific story, and it's about one person and an encounter with Jesus. And it's in Luke 10, and I want to read this. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see. But I but did not see it. And to hear what you see, hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? What do you read there? And the man answered, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him. Jesus said to him. You've given the right answer. Do this. And you will live. This is the word of the Lord. Clearly Jesus pulls out from this one individual. This lawyer. The great words of faith. The lawyer actually repeats the Shema. That uh, Richard read just a moment ago. The great and essential teaching The primary expectation for all God's people from generation to generation. The main thing, love God with everything, and Jesus adds to it, and love your neighbor as yourself. Today I want to focus on one word in that great teaching, and that's the word soul. We're to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's a tendency through history to think about soul as sort of the uh, intangible part of our existence. We have our bodies, the tangible part, and then we have our souls. And our tangible bodies go through certain things, and, and then they die, and our souls then end up with God. And that's a separation, a kind of thinking that separates body and soul. That is not really faithful, biblical thinking about soul. It's very different through the texts of Scripture. Soul is mentioned 700 times in the Bible, and soul intends to convey something else than just our sort of immortal uh, essence of us. Soul intends to convey that our core existence, our primary identity, comes from the truth that we are, more than anything else, persons in relationship. Okay, Soul teaches us that we find our true selves when we recognize that we're related to God and we're related to others. We find our true selves, our true sense of who we are in our relationality. Each person in the world is a -a one-of-a-kind creature made in the image of God. Eugene Peterson says it like this, Whatever else the word soul means, it conveys a sense of enormous dignity and thoroughgoing relationality. Soul is the most personal term for who we are, what it means to be a human being. The word soul reminds us that we are God-created, God-sustained, and God-blessed. So soul, then, is a barrier against reduction, against human life reduced to biology. We are way more than cells and organs. Soul is a barrier against human life reduced to just culture and ethnicity and utility. We're we're way more than citizens or immigrants or white-collar or blue-collar or wealthy or poor. Soul is a barrier against human life reduced to race or gender or sexuality. When we recognize and affirm the dignity and relationality of one another with the emphasis on soul, we will find ourselves living and relating with a lot more faithfulness and a lot more love. Soul, in the Hebrew, nefesh, is the same word for throat or neck the neck you know is the narrow part of our anatomy that connects the head the site of intelligence and the nervous system with everything else in the body the neck literally keeps us together right the head is physically at least when we're standing up um The higher part of the body. So we sometimes think of these higher functions like thinking and seeing and hearing and tasting in contrast to uh, lower functions like moving or digesting or perspiring or something else. But as we know, these functions in our lives, all of them, they work together. And the neck is the key connector. The neck contains this narrow passage through which air passes from the mouth to the lungs and back again and with speech. So breath, spirit, God-filled life. The neck is the uh, conduit for the entire nervous system stemming from the brain. The neck contains the mighty uh, jugular veins. The neck keeps it all together soul nafish keeps it all together without soul would we we would be just a jumble of disconnected parts but all through the scriptures we keep being taught that we're not disconnected rather we are created with a wholeness soul works like a magnet pulling all the pieces of our lives into a unity into a totality so think about soul music. It has that name to affirm that the rhythm, the words, the essence of the music, the feelings that we get when we hear it, it permeates the whole being. Permeates the whole self in a unity, in a totality. Soul food. It doesn't just meet the hungers of our stomach. It feeds us By connecting us to our heritage or to our ancestors or to faith, to a greater realm of existence, or to say that someone is soulful. What does that mean? A soulful person means that person is somehow more wholesome or unified. A soulful person has found a way to live with wisdom and grace, uh, who relates fully and well to all people who stays lined up with actions and beliefs whose legacy is large because of compassion and concern for others. So, all that's to say it's not egocentric, but ex-centric, meaning no longer centered on the self. Soul. Soul reminds us that the breath that flows through our neck, soul, is God's breath. And If God's breath is gone, then the human life, the human being is gone. And apart from God, according to scriptures, there's nothing to us. Apart from God, there's nothing to us. We are God-breathed, God-sustained, God-blessed. This applies to all people everywhere. And then if our origins are in God and our life is in God, which is what soul tells us, our intentions. In other words, what we do... Our intentions are also to be in God. What we do, we're to do for God. How we live? Well, we're to live for God. The catechism says, what's the chief end in life? Well, the chief end in life, glorify God and enjoy God forever. It's the God operations that emerge from our lives that make us most who we are and what we are. But... And I hope you've been thinking about this as I've been talking. I hope you've been making these connections as I've been sharing ideas about soul. This is never automatic. In fact, so much of life works against these understandings of soul. In the current culture, this idea of soul has been losing ground. Not the word, uh, but... The essence of the meaning, the essence of the word, the understanding that life is God created, God sustained, God breathed, God blessed. So many places we turn, we realize that life is not eccentric, full of God and full of God's purposes, but unfortunately egocentric, which is not what scripture says is about. Ginger and I this week had the wonderful privilege to visit the National Museum for African American History and Culture at the Smithsonian. This was quite an experience. There's so much to say and learn from that massive institution in Washington. On the wall, as you go through the museum, are numerous and gripping quotes. One quote comes from a 19th century philosopher and theologian. It's very brief. Once you label me, you negate me. The long and winding hallways that fill that large space depict our history of labeling African-Americans as less. Human beings with a soul, with soul, were considered property and snatched from other lands and shipped to these lands for labor. Human beings, God created, God sustained, God loved, God blessed, used and abused purely for profit. Human beings labeled as inferior, oppressed for centuries. This is our painful history that deserves much attention if we're ever going to find redemption. And the pertinence of this word, soul, continues to apply to our lives and our times. We cannot appreciate the importance of soul. This phrase, this concept, God created, God sustained, God loved, God blessed. We cannot appreciate this and continue a harsh stand against refugees and immigrants. Refugees and immigrants are God created, God sustained, God loved, God blessed, just like we are. They're not problems to be labeled or people just to be seen as problems, they are beloved of God. How we treat people reflects on us. We have gone from a nation of welcome and hospitality, a beacon of hope. You know, the Statue of Liberty says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. And we're so fearful and we're so worried and we're so harsh in our treatment of the other. We cannot appreciate the importance of soul. And not pay attention to the work of Bryan Stevenson and his new museum to lynchings, our horrible history. It's in Montgomery, Alabama. It's just recently opened. A jarring and historic reminder of our history. It demands that we take our abusiveness and our racism seriously as the only way to a wholesome life. Stevenson has also spent his whole life working with young, wrongly convicted African Americans in jails across the nation. These people are God-created, God-blessed, God-sustained, God-loved, just like we are. If you've not read his book, Just Mercy, you should. We cannot appreciate the importance of soul and not pay attention to other issues, gender and sexual identity issues, global warming issues, environmental issues, socioeconomic issues that result in poverty and pain and disparity across our society. All these relate to the importance of life. All of these are about life together. All of these are about relationality, soul. Harold Krishna writes in his book, When All You've Ever Wanted Is Not Enough, and I quote, Our souls are not hungry for fame and comfort and wealth and power. Those rewards create almost as many problems as they solve. Our souls are hungry for meaning, for the sense that we have figured out how to live so that our lives matter, so that the world will be at least a little bit different for our having passed through. All through the Bible, we find this wonderful phrase, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's in so many different places. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's a reminder that life is rooted in God. And when we know that our lives are rooted deeply in God, we live with a certain sensitivity. Awareness. Compassion. Kindness. Concern for others, especially the less fortunate. And we live with intentions that intend to glorify God, not just further our own purposes, our own selfishness, our own self interest. We got enough of that. We got enough of that. God calls us to love God with all our soul, which intends to change everything about us. Everything. See why this is so important? Loving God with soul reminds us that everything's tied together and what we do matters and how we see other people matters and how we see the future matters. May we bless the Lord, oh my soul, always, together and forever. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, God. Thank you. We are indeed created, sustained, blessed, held forever by you and your abiding love. Fill us with your Spirit and fill us, O God, with new commitments that honor Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.